Carroll and Arian Love from the legendary Stylistics, um, one of the best soul groups of all time. Um, you guys helped, I mean, you guys established the Philadelphia Soul Sound, and um, you know it's a great pleasure to be talking to you guys. So thank you very much for taking the time. Oh, thank, thank you, thank you very much. And I, what I want to start um, start by doing is asking you guys um, what first got you into music. Um, what were your earliest musical memories? Uh, well, you know, when growing up uh, through junior high school, high school, back then it was the Motown era. Motown was very big, and a lot of a lot of guys that formed groups back then emulated themselves after the Temptations, Glass Night and Pips. Uh, I actually myself, I I wanted to be a drummer, and got into singing by chance. Uh, in high school, uh, the members of the group I was singing with prior to the uh, stylistics, uh, the percussions, uh, James Dunn, Bernard Lum, uh, had a group and we just started singing in the stairwells in high school and one thing just led to another and that's how I got into it. So you so you were in the percussions? Yes. And, yeah. and how, how far did that group get? Did, uh, were you guys gigging and stuff? Well, we were gigging, uh, you know, Matter of fact, I think our biggest thing was working every summer down Atlantic City at a club down Atlantic City and spots around Philadelphia, you know. Uh, so we was we was doing. So you were working? Yes, 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 yes somewhat. Yeah, they get paid. It wasn't that much. <laughs> well, I always wanted to be a singer as a as a kid. Um, in junior high school, I was in school plays and the B club. Uh, as I started getting a little older with the high school, I said, well, you know, that's that's a dream, eh? That's never gonna, gonna happen. But still wanting to, to sing, and uh, Herb mentioned the percussions. Now, from my perspective, because we were in the same high school, the percussions were the professional group of the school, because, I mean, they had their hair done, <laughs> brocade jackets and they were working around around town actually getting paid and it was something that we were what well, I wanted to do as a group and the group that I was in the models at the time we were just doing talent shows we hadn't did any shows that we actually got paid for you know and so when we graduated her graduated uh, a couple members from our group uh, went to college or went into the service and the same thing happened to the percussions. So we combined the two groups and started working as the stylistics, but still no recording at the time, just getting into clubs here in Philly and having a following, following us around around the city. And then we were approached uh, by this guy by the name of Bill Perry. He asked us if we were interested in recording and took us into the studio to record our first record at. That started the ball rolling. And before you started recording, what what type of material did you play at gigs? Everything, everything, whatever was hot on the radio at the time. Temptations, Aretha Franklin, the Gladys Knight, the Pepsi, Sam and Dave, you name it. Whatever was hot was our show. Yeah. And would would you say that you developed your skills as, as singers and performers by gigging? Was it was there never really a stage where you had to? you know, like practice alone at home and stuff like that? Or was it a bit of both? It was a bit of both. You mm -hmm. know, you, 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 went, you had rehearsals, you went into rehearsals and you did what you had to do. And you 
you took it to the stage, and then that showed you what you needed to improve on. Yeah. By doing it live, you know what I mean. Then you go back to the drawing board, go back to rehearsals, and work on that, and work out the kinks, and bring it back to the stage again. And keep grafting, improving. And right. so, so when you started recording um, as a stylistics, pres presumably was that the first time that you guys had been in in a recording studio? The first record, yeah. yeah first record. So, so the first, so your first studio experience was with the stylistics, and so was that in the early seventies then? It was nineteen seventy, matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. Your big girl now was the first one. Yeah. And how how was that? And how how did um, you find being in the studio for the first time? Because it must have been a massive thrill, I guess. It was. It was <laughs> frightening. Uh, Glad to be in the studio to have that experience, but it was, we were young, we were kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? 19, oh, 20 years. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. And it was, a, it was a cheap yeah. session, too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, that particular song was written by then our guitar player, Robert Douglas, and our road manager, Marty Bryant. Uh, they penned that song, and uh, we put the tracks down with the, our musicians, you know, and I think the session actually cost. Bill Perry like five hundred dollars mm. that we did, you know. So we never had anything to compare studio life with because that was our, our first time. And we said, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try. We're gonna go in there and do it." Mm. And we did it, and uh, luckily that cheap session <laughs> with the number one <laughs> here in yeah. Philly. And Bill, uh, in return, wanted to send it national, and he got in touch with uh, Avco Embassy Records, who sent the record around the states and it started making so much noise and so much success from that that they wanted to follow it up with an album then the professional aspect came in because the record company contacted tom bell and yeah. we went in with you know strings and the whole orchestra and that was but yeah there's lush arrangements yeah. from the records mm -hmm. and what, what you know how uh, influential would you guys say tom bell was on establishing your sound very very influential. And, and do you have good feelings, you know, of, of your time working? Well, you know, working, you know, with Tom Bell and and the record label at the time. We went in the studio and with Tom, whatever Tom did, you know, the record, you know, he was working on the album, of course. But first off, we stopped looking, listen, mm -hmm. with the first song, you know what I mean, and then that led to the album. But when the album came out, they were putting out song after song after song, and they were becoming hits after hit after hit. And we were working. We were working. Yeah. yeah. They started um, started getting busy after you're a big girl now. Mm -hmm. Dates started coming in. In fact, I remember working, and um, I had to give my uh, leave of absence from, from my job. I mean, I was still living at home with my parents. And my mom said, no, you got a good job, don't leave it, stay there. You know, my father said, go ahead and try it, you're still, you're still home, if it doesn't work, you know, we got you back. And uh, we started touring around the states, uh, and things just started, started moving, it started moving quickly, after, especially after we did that first album. You know, and luckily, uh, at that time, we had a manager, Henry Hodge, who owned the clothing store men's clothing store <laughs> so that helped with the uniforms and yeah. he became partners with our current manager Jack Bart and Jack Bart owned uh, Universal Attractions who and Ben Bart was Jack Bart's father and he managed James Brown 
So everything kind of like worked hand in hand. We had a manager who owned our booking agency. And uh, as our records started to break, uh, they got us on the show opening for James Brown. So wow. working with James Brown, we're doing five, 10,000 seat venues, you know. So yeah. that and was a perfect. Be working quite a lot. Yeah, yeah we like a lot of dates. Yeah, yeah. matter of fact, that, that tour we did with James Brown, I think in all tour we did about maybe 47 one nighters. And that just was the vehicle. Very hard working guy, wasn't it? Oh, very, yeah. very much so. And, yeah. and what was he like to be on the road with? You know, <laughs> I've watched a HBO documentary about James Brown recently, mm. and, and uh, in it it says that, you know, if, if, if the drummer skipped a beat, he used to like. You know, gesture that they oh, were really he, fine yeah, and stuff. Was yeah, he, he a hard taskmaster? He was a stickler for perfection. Yeah, man, it was to the point. Uh, a, a funny story with James Brown. I think we were down uh, in North Carolina. It might have been Greensboro, North Carolina. Anyway, we was at sound check before our show, and he happened to come to the theater and stop and gave us a, a pep talk or, or a rap about entertaining the people what we needed mm -hmm. to do and how to do it. And I guess somebody would look at it and say, man, what are you talking about there? But what he was saying was very important. Like I said, he was like a stickler about perfection. So I'm quite sure some of that kind of stuff, you know what I mean, what he was saying, it was just out of the blue when yeah. it happened, but it was very important to hear. And, and when it comes to, uh, you know, being perfectionists, you know, I've, I've seen you guys live and it, you know, it's all, it sounds like right on, like right like the record, the, like the choreography is like very precise. The whole show is very precise, but also kind of like, you know, has that spontaneity to it. And when, you know, did, had you already established that by the 70s? That comes with over the years of doing what yeah. you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And realize one thing, uh, like I always say, my favorite group, everybody's always say out of Motown, the Temptations, but my favorite group was Gladys Knight and the Pips because of what they brought to the stage that class, perfection with their steps, you know what I mean and the show and that's that's important when, you, when you're when doing what you do, you know what I mean because at the end of the day folks can sit at home and put on the records and listen to the record but if they're coming to see you live, you got to give them what they used to hear yeah. you gotta yeah. be a little bit more just, you yeah. just can't just be you know, stand up, stand up singers. Mm -hmm. You know, even those solo artists that are out today, they're not just there once they sing, they have a whole production behind them. So it's a visual mm -hmm. thing. And by us being a, a four member group, uh, we have to have a visual appeal too. You know, you can sound well, and that's important too. But, mm -hmm. you know, you have to give the people, uh, <laughs> you have to give the people something that they can you know, enjoy watching. Mm -hmm. And of the of the other Philadelphia soul groups, you know, did was there was there a kind of a, was there a rivalry between you guys, <laughs> or, or was there, was there was there love lost, or, or or you know, was it sort of like we're going to get on with our own thing? Well, we was concentrating on doing what we did, and yeah. how we were doing what we were doing. But we were all friends. We all basically grew up together. You know, you talk about Harold Melvin's Blue Notes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the Intruders. You know, all those cats, those cats that we grew up with. You know what I mean? So, 
those that uh, in defining who your friends are, they would give you advice on doing what you do, yeah. how to do what you do. Yeah, man. And you learned like uh, uh, the intruders. You know what I mean? They were good friends. Well, that's yeah, that's good. Good to hear. And it, yeah. it seems like from that highly influential era, you guys are the band with perhaps the most longevity in the sense that you're still touring a hell of a lot, aren't you? Like, mm. how how many shows are you doing a year? Uh, we know, we know. As they come, we do, and and we're blessed to uh, to be busy throughout the year. Yeah, you know, uh, like right now we have a, a UK tour coming up. Then we have a tour of Japan to do before the year is out. Wow! Know? So we're we're blessed. Yeah, and I mean, so that's mid October. So mm. that's you know, <laughs> mid October now. So like in just a couple of months, you guys are going to be going both to UK and Japan. So that yeah. you know, it's really good to. Hit. To hear and, and to see, um, you know, because it must have been like what 40, 50 years that you've been in at, at you know the top top end of the business. Well, we we've, we've been blessed to be able to sustain in the business now for fifty one years, going on fifty two years. Wow! Yeah, yeah. me and my partner here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So still blessed. Still, yeah. yeah. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, uh, luckily uh, we were given uh, good music that people still enjoy. Mm -hmm here today and uh, lucky enough to still bring them out to, to see us before. You know? So, yeah, so many blessings. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, going back, we were talking about before with Tom Bell, you know, with his production uh, of what he did with those songs and with the lyricist, uh, God bless his soul, Linda Creed, that penned those songs. We were blessed to be in that company, you know what I mean? And they think that puzzle. Everything came together. Yeah, they're timeless, aren't they? Yeah, the and lyrics and the arrangements. Exactly. No matter how it turned out or whatever, whatever happened, but that puzzle came together. And here we are, 52 years later, still, still doing what we do. And you got the stylistics. You know, you're known for for very soulful ballads and, and the lush strings. But you know, I also think that the the sort of like more up tempo stuff, like Rock and Roll Baby, I re I love that one. That mm -hmm. is such a great song. Uh, and uh, do you ever feel like you're sometimes shoeboxed only into doing the, you know, the, the, the slower numbers, and people kind of ignore that you can do like up tempo stuff just as well? Well, it's only because you were performing. We we were saying amongst ourselves on the on the first album it was all balance on on the first album. So when we do a show, we do a show from all those songs on, it. and we would say like, wow, you know, we put people to sleep, you know. And everything was slow, and uh, we mentioned that to Tommy. And uh, next thing you know, when we did the second album, it was a little more up tempo. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then the Rock and Roll Baby album uh, took it there. But you know, I think even when we perform, Rock and Roll Baby has to be in the show. But right now, in the semi, we were establishing the stylistics. You know, now the stylist has been established for 50 years. So when the people come out, they want to hear the, head. the songs. Yeah, they want to hear those those ballads. Yeah, yeah. And in in entertainment, because like the music industry is changing such a lot, and actually the live acts are people like the stylistics or the people you know like Elton John or Paul Simon or you know Paul McCartney. I you know it 
it's 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 people who are who have back catalogues that have been revered by people for decades mm. tend to do the best live um, and what a lot of people often wonder is you know does it ever get tiring playing those songs night after night or do you, or is it just when when a song is that good it's just well you know always good. yeah well you know what happens each audience brings a different atmosphere to mm. the song yeah so what this audience is feeling about you everything here so when you're up here, it has something else, you know what I mean, for you, everything. So that keeps that excitement there. Yeah. You know I, mean? I was saying the same thing on um, the last interview that I had, in fact, for the, for the UK just last week. And they asked the same question. I said, you know, just like we're being watched from the audience perspective, and we're watching the audience. You know, we can sing one particular song and look across the audience and see five or six different responses. You may see one person boohooing, crying their eyes out, another one clapping, you know, so that one song has so many different emotions for different people. And we're looking at this and that's like new to us, you know, because it's a different emotion than we saw, like Herb said, on the show that we did somewhere else. Yeah. You know, and it, I think, um, People said, do you get tired of singing the same songs? No, and that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, because every, every audience and atmosphere is different. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And, um, and, and obviously, because touring is a, I mean, performing live, like night after night, is a, is a strenuous exercise. Is there ever a moment, because you know, it seems like you have a lot of joy in what you do, is there ever a moment where you're on stage and, and, and uh, I mean, I suppose you must just get such great crowds all the time. But is there ever a moment where you're like on stage and you're you're thinking, God, this is tiring? <laughs> no, it can be all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you know. And when you, oh, you, have, do you ever feel like underappreciated? Like, have you ever had a bad, you know, have, have you had a bad gig in the last like ten years? Well, I think we are worse. And yeah, you yeah. know, um, I don't, I can't recall ever coming off off stage. Um, thinking that the audience weren't happy. But yeah, I mean, I've come off stage. I you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we've come off stage and we may not be happy with our own performance. Mm -hmm. So we tend to be our, our worst our worst critic. Yeah, you know, yeah. but um you know it's like it's we got the UK tour and that runs about six weeks. Different show, different venue, different hotel every day. We go to Japan and we're in <clears> Japan <throat> for about Three weeks, two shows every night, maybe five days in one venue, five days in another venue, five days. Now, Japan to me is hard because it's two shows. We don't two shows. Yeah, two shows every night. Yeah. So that wow. What so what what timing? So those are that like early evening and then later evening or something like that. But usually shows in Japan start uh, fairly early. That first show could be around six o'clock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Six to mm -hmm. nine. That must be really tiring. Now that that that's what it tires of, you know what I mean? Because what about on the voice as well? Well, you know, you you have to pace yourself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, you can't be out hanging out all the hard times of night when you have those yeah. two shows. After after that second show is done, and you wrap up and head back to the hotel, that's where you're at. Go to bed. Yeah, exactly. Stay in bed as long as you can. You know, yeah, right. and it's like you got you got veterans here. You got people that's been doing this now for 
Well, Nerd been on a case for 50 years, so we know what we need to do right. to be able to go on stage, you know. Uh, 40 years yeah. ago? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 20 years, 20 years old, yeah. 21 years old? Yeah. We would stay out all night. We'd be coming in <laughs> time enough to do the show. But now, you know, it's like, no. I don't go swimming. We had some at a resort that we're performing. It's how come you don't get in the water? I said, I have to see it. I yeah. can't be swimming it's around in the ocean the and stuff. Like it exactly. can be. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you guys have to like, uh, I think it was Smokey Robinson was saying in his interview like that he just doesn't talk at all, mm. like in his hotel room. And his manager was like, all he does is watch golf in his hotel room <laughs> in silence. Yeah, well, you, you know, you get, that rest is important. You got to yeah. rest your cords, your vocal cords, you know what I mean? Yeah. Preserve yourself, you know what I mean? Because if you don't, when you hit that stage, it will tell, it will show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, you don't sound right. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Sure. It's because you've been burning that candle at both ends, but you got, like I said, you got to pace yourself. You yeah. Know? Yeah, in Japan, we have a friend, uh, in fact, the young lady used, used to be our keyboard player, and she comes to the show every year we're in Japan. And she always comes, you know, you're never outside talking. I'm talking to everybody else. I said, Cheryl, because. You talk so much, <laughs> you know, after I, I do one show, I just want to just sit, maybe drink some tea, a little Hennessy in it, and just relax. <laughs> you know, I say, but if you're there, I have to talk and talk and talk. And I'm wearing my voice out before the second show, so that's why I don't. Come. Yeah, yeah. So like Herb said, it is, yeah, it's important for us to grab as much rest as, as we can. And when, what was the last studio album the Stylistics made? I think it was in 2010, wasn't it? That's what we did was uh, the one we did with Preston. We did one for Japan. Japan, right? We did uh, for Japan only. Uh, what name of it? Uh, that name yeah, it escapes me now. But uh, that was the last recording that we did. And and um, do you think you do you think you guys will make another studio album, or is or is or is it so like? Oh, your hits so iconic now that like if you play like a track, it's not one of the. It's well, just like know, very difficult. You always want to go back in the studio mm -hmm. to create and yeah. do new music. You know what I mean? But the way business is now, you know what I mean. Everything is like record companies are not the same as they was when we, when we first started and came along. Everything now is social media. Yeah, you know what I mean, and. Uh, a lot of folks don't know how to deal with social media. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's very it's like, crowded. Yeah, for yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. For real, for real. You I know mean, what I mean, people, people, you know, who just do cover versions with an acoustic guitar in their bedroom have more followers than like proper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Proper bands. You know, and, and right. that's not taking anything away from them. You know, no, not at all. Over the years, you know, the, you know, the, the nature of the business has changed, and now it's it's more. Uh, up front for an artist now to like you say sit back in the bedroom create bang 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 put it on social media and see what it does and they get those followings then they become a star that way you know what I mean and the other side of that coin is is like a lot of record labels now uh, groups such as I saw Stylistics Ray Goodman and Brown Harold Melvin Blue Nose Intruders that list is so long is that they don't feel that feel as though there's a record buying market as they say well, that's not their forte, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when you can go 
these same groups can go and do a 5,000 seat or 10,000 seat or whatever and sell it out. You know what I mean? What do you mean there's not a market out there no longer for you? Yeah, I think there is. And you know, your, your records are, because um, I mean, no one buys physical records really. Right. Right. I guess your mm -hmm. fan base would probably buy more physical records than fan bases of younger acts. Cause right. That's right. not even a thing right. for the younger acts, and it's always it's always the it's always the older acts who actually like do well in the album charts. But you guys are being streamed. I, I don't know whether you know, but uh, you know, I think it's like about a million. You've got a million monthly listeners just on Spotify alone. Just mm. like well, really impressive. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, I know that you, it was pro it's probably like you're used to that stuff by um, by now, but. Yeah, it would be good to hear you guys create. Well, it would, it would be nice to put something out and tap that mainstream, you know, on that, that side of the market instead of depending upon a record label yeah. to do what they do for you. It would it would be, you know what I mean, I, I think it would be very nice to kind of touch that, you yeah. know what I mean, to see what's happening with the social media market. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, yeah. I mean... Yeah, your, fa your fan base still seems as strong as ever. Yeah, we're blessed. <laughs> well, I want to finish off by asking you guys to name your favourite three stylistic songs. Um, just because I know that there'll be some people watching this who may not have heard your music before. I mean, most, most will, a lot will. But for those people who haven't, you know, where should they start with stylistics? Uh, well, my all-time all favourite song that we record is You Are Everything. You make me feel brand new and stop looking listen. Yeah, well, well, classics. <laughs> um, took the exact same song. <laughs> <laughs> We've been around each other too yeah, long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so I would, I would, well, let me say this. So I'm going to really tell my age. I would go to a couple of the B sides. For those who don't know what the, yeah, the, deep cut. the, <laughs> the B sides are. On the days of the 45, they played that one side, it was the hit, and you turned it over, and that mm. was the B side. But um, Payback is a Dog is one of my, my favorite songs. Uh, Stone in Love with You. And, um, wow, people make the world go round. Yeah, those are brilliant records. Well, guys, thanks very much for taking the time. Uh, Thank you. It's been a pleasure Thank talking you. to you. Thank you. Good talking to you, buddy. Real pleasure. Thank you, Kyle.